In episode 2 of Out of Play Area, we sit down with the creative force Benjamin Johnson, known in these online streets as Mr. Benja. I had the great fortune to work alongside him during my tenure at Rockstar Games in San Diego, where we put everything we had into the first Red Dead Redemption. We converse about how he got through college and broke into the games industry at 3DO as a programmer alongside an OG, Howard Scott Warshaw. We reminisce over the shockwave that was Grand Theft Auto 3. We examine how he came to be a lead designer for Rockstar's first Xbox 360 and PS3 game. We also touch on his motivations while he was at Sony Santa Monica. And finally, we break down his fine arts project, the 8-Bit Cubist. There's that and a whole bunch more, so take a look at the show notes for the timestamps to the different segments. Currently enjoying the SoCal sun? Please welcome Benja. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue, welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. Right now, I'm I'm pretty much moving into this weird creative space that doesn't have much directly to do with gaming, but is all about or, or, games as a, as a template for defining life. I know that sounds silly, but I started doing the art thing. And once you get into the arts, everything gets silly. Well, you had a few things that I, I always got from you and I kind of carried forward was, you know, our games art, right? And it, it came always came to me as a, such a simple and straightforward question, but it, it led to so many different levels of discussion. Right. So, so here's the bone I have to pick with. People who have the knee-jerk reaction, of course, games are art. Here's what I have to say to that crowd. I don't disagree with you, but the criteria that is often used is, you know, people say, are games art? And then they'll say, well, of course, it was created by artists. There are a lot of talented people involved, and they work together to form this product. Of course, it was art. I gave the retort, well, you could say the same of a bottle of ketchup on a grocery store shelf. That it's mm. it's created to serve a certain purpose it's well designed it has color and graphic design meant to attract you in a certain way are you telling me a bottle of ketchup is art or is it something different so are games really art what is a game function for when it comes down to it anything can be art but you're going to have a hard time defending intention what is the intention Mm. of the creator you know what i mean yeah you're absolutely right and and that's kind of what leaves art open to interpretation to be like hey what what are you feeling you know uh what did the artist intend for you to feel where was the artist when he put the thing together you know in a game i definitely see a lot of open-endedness in so many different variables, right? Like it's easier to correlate smaller games like Flower or or Sky or things like that versus a massive open world sandbox game, right? Right. You go to an art museum and you see a banana taped to a wall. I don't know if you saw that whole thing, but 
that was presented as an art piece. And I, I thought it was brilliant. Some of my friends thought it was dumb. But a lot of it comes down to intention. What's what's the intent of what you're doing? And if there's a conversation behind it, often you're going to fall into the category of, oh, yes, this is clearly art. You get into games and somebody creates something and it was like, well, I started working on this technology and it was kind of an accident. And then these uh, angel investors came in and it just happened to pop out. That could be art. It's not a definite scale of yes, no. But what I can tell you is that a lot of what is developed out there is not developed in the spirit of art. And I don't give a an automatic yes, games are art to anything that's put out there. I do not do that at all. I will absolutely vouch. And I appreciate that. What are you sipping on? So this is a, a, something I picked up back in San Diego. Um, started drinking Jaeger. It's something I was using as part of my creative process. You know, I think uh, all, all the different beverages have different purposes. Vodka, you know, when you want to get riled up. Uh, rum is a, another type of party drink. Um, you know, wine, red wine, if you want to chill out. Uh, white wine, chilling out during the day or you're eating light. You know, I, I make sure that my beverages have a purpose. So mm-hmm. Jaeger is one of the creative ones where... I would turn up music. I would turn on some crazy visuals, you know, some anime or some Robert Rodriguez movie with no volume, you know, just have my music, the visuals. I take out all my magazines and and stuff and and scratch pads and just start thinking. And Jaeger was the drink that would go along with it. I like it. I like it. It's routine. It's creative routine to get your muscles and your mind into a familiar area. Like, yeah, it's time to turn it on. We're going to start making something. Yeah. You know, coming from development, you get into a a groove where where you've got a production mode, you know, where you're just cranking stuff out and you're kind of on autopilot. And then you've got a stop and recalibrate mode. And to get into that, you know, recalibration, figure out what the next thing is, thinking outside the box. Jaeger was one of my tools. Uh, it's not a it's not a crutch at all. I really don't like to, you know, rely on substances. I really don't. Definitely. But yeah, it, it was it was part of the fun, you know. So I had fun with it. I dig that a hundred percent. You know, like to the same vein, caffeine, alcohol, and like all the different types of spirits and and drinks like that giving them each kind of a purpose or a need, right? Like, hey, I need to rejuvenate. Hey, I need a kickstart. Hey, I need to get the mind looking in a different space, right? Something to snap you out of it. Dig that. Actually, I actually dropped caffeine during game development, by the way. Mm. It was actually too difficult for me to bounce back and forth into my different modes when caffeine was a constant. Yeah, because game studios kind of keep that on tap, right? Like soft drinks, soda coffee. I just did a little um, audio essay on me giving up sodas and uh, I I should do one on coffee as well because that kind of happened at the same time. It was much harder for me to control the creative process with sodas and and coffee. You would lose control of it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, I'm just sitting down and it's like I'm trying to work and suddenly it's like, God damn, I need a coffee. And it's like, I, I couldn't have that. That was bothering me. You know, I just wanted to sit down and do my work. So 
I'm much more chill now. So, you know, if you were to look at like, you know, a graph of my, my highs and lows of work, Mm -hmm. you know, it's much more of a smooth line now, which is the point. If I really need that kick in the pants of, of doing something like a, you know, a crazy weekend or whatever, you know, yeah, you know, I'll break it out. You know, I'll get some, you know, one of the big boxes of uh, Pete's coffee beans or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, roast something up. But, you know, it's a uh, I'm on I'm on the smooth laid out tempo right now. So I like that. Thanks for sharing, because, you know, here what I, what I want to kind of expose or bring to light is as developers, you know, we start somewhere and we end up somewhere completely different. Right. We, we have to evolve. Right. It's the nature of creation and inspiration and motivation to look at how you were in the past, see what still excites you or what different area you want to jump into and adjusting to that, right? And kind of even, dare I say, mastering yourself, right? Yeah, totally. And uh... oh, smooth over ice, huh? Yeah, just a little, just a little ice in the, uh, in the glass there. All right. So now I'm getting into my creative mode. Okay. Okay. Well, let me, let me pour out my little drink here. I poured myself a little Mezcal, Hoven. Um, I'm big into the agave. And so I want mm. I don't want to let my, my guests ever drink alone, whatever that may be. So cheers to you, Ben. Thanks for coming aboard. Salud, Santé. Salud. Mm-hmm. Mezcal. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to, I used to drink this on occasion whenever I was craving something different. Like to your point of I'm in a different space. I want to think differently. Oh, I see something on the on the cocktail list. Let me get that smoky, that smoky flavor. And trying to learn how to appreciate it straight. Teaching myself. Right. You were uh you were part of that crew, I remember. Oh, it wasn't just you, I'm saying. <laughs> Not like there's a mezcal crew hanging out in the corner. <laughs> I, I'll admit, like, you know, I, I lived in Austin, Texas, but it wasn't until I got to San Diego and, and that side of Mexico that I started really appreciating tequila and agave. So I said, uh, you know, vodka and rum were like the party drinks. I'll leave. I'll throw tequila in there as the wild out drink. Um, I don't even want to call that a party drink. It's just wilding out to me. It does different things to different people for sure. <laughs> tequila. Some people don't even touch it. Tequila. <laughs> the first time I took a, a club party to the beach was uh, with tequila. I mean, we were all hanging out in the San Diego club, and uh, we ended up, you know, like, "Hey, man, this club's too crowded, man. It's too sweaty. Beach and." I can't remember all the pieces. I just know we were on the beach in our club clothes with no shoes on, yakking it up. That's beautiful. That, that, that's what I miss about SoCal. I feel like you go any farther north and people lose touch of the beach. Like they don't embrace their proximity to the beach as much. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting development environment. I really liked it. Just for the the people and the minds that were out there, I thought that was a really interesting place to do game development. So that... What led you into game development? How did you break in? When I came across the Nintendo Entertainment System, I was, you know, very, very young. I didn't even know what was going on. I was just hitting buttons. But I just remember being fascinated with the colors and stuff moving around on the screen. So my mom saw this. I was playing my cousin's uh, NES, by the way. And my mom saw this and she started, you know, getting me uh, like a little 
cheap computers from the from garage sales or whatever and would just watch me play around with them. And uh, one of these computers had a basic on it. And it's one of those things you wouldn't I wouldn't have noticed, but it was like a little icon right there, like basic. So I was like, oh, what the hell is this? I started it up and it was nothing but a flashing cursor. And I'm like, this is dumb. You know, so <laughs> a flashing cursor. What does that do for me? Doesn't do shit. But uh, later on, I was playing this other game that I found. Uh, maybe it was on the computer, on a disc I got somewhere. In the credits, it said made with quick basic. And I was like, made with quick basic? What do you mean made? You can't make a game. You Wait, with quick basic? Hold on a second. And my, my little brain is just like spinning out of control. Like, holy crap. Wait, what does this mean? You know, I'm starting to make the connection that I have a computer. Computer games are made with computers. I can make computer games. This blew my mind as a kid, right? Everybody I've spoken with comes to that realization in a completely different way. And so you, I find you kind of came into it much earlier than most. Uh, Oh yeah. I had this desire for all this time and my parents were artists. My my dad was a fine artist. Uh, He painted portraits for the state of Florida and did sign paintings, you know, like the kinds you see on like a, you go to a museum or stop at a rest area, they'll have these signs with, this is the blue heron, blah, 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 blah. And there's like mm-hmm. a picture of some bird. My dad would do those. And my mother was a, a professor of voice. She did operas and things like that. So they were very artistic. And when they saw me getting into computers, they were like, holy shit, our kids into something we don't understand. Let's just push them in that direction. Oh, that's great to have that support so early on. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. And I ended up being the person in my family who was into computers. You know, there are lawyers, doctors, teachers, social workers, everything else, but nobody was really into technology like I was. So when it came time for school, I went to school, uh, just started studying computers as much as I could, where I could. And at some point I ended up deciding to go the the master's route. So I Mm. I got my undergrad in computer information systems. And then I was like, you know what? This isn't this isn't hardcore enough. I need to go into something much more hardcore. So I jumped into software engineering. So that was from Florida A and M in Florida, where I got my undergrad, and then I got my grad degree in software engineering at Michigan State. Dope. South to north, yeah. I can see the migration patterns already. I started, um, you know, figuring out. Okay, I'm in school, but how exactly do I break into games? And this has never been a straightforward kind of thing, you know? But it's it's not, right? Like anybody that gets into this crazy industry, it's very rarely a straight path. Right. It's it's uh, You always have to say, well, how did you get in, you know? Um, aside from the people who knew somebody directly or, you know, had some kind of in, it's always, it's usually an interesting story. I love that. You caught wind of like the the means to your destination, right? You're like, hey, basic programming language. And then we're able to kind of carry that and had the support to be like, yeah, keep going in on computers, figure it out that hey, I want to program because this is what's going to lead me to creating this software, right? And then even when you're going through a traditional curriculum, such as information systems, I'm sure they weren't pushing it as hard. Like you said, hey, you guys aren't making games, right? You guys probably have me programming some backend systems or databases or things like this. And then you, you kept refining. You're like, yo, I'm going to get my graduate degree in software engineering. And so by that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
you can you can make a computer do whatever you want. Yeah. When you make that mental jump where it's like, holy crap, I can turn off the computer. I can disable a disk drive. When you start getting to that level, it starts getting kind of like interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you're in the you're in the you're in the bits and registers. Yeah, you know, like what does this do? Bam. You know, next thing you know, you're you gotta take your computer in to get reformatted and you're like, how did I do that? <laughs> Through code. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um yeah, it, it was it was it was fun to me, but but everyone thought I was going to grow out of the game part of it. Mm. You know, they said, okay, well, you know, he likes games, but that's just going to get him to, you know, a real job or whatever. Ah, uh, so, so even though they supported you, oh, yeah. it's kind of common, right? In in our generation, like, oh, that's childish. That's not a real job, right? Yeah. Even though they were creatives. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I mean, as I said, you know, my my father was a part of this um this group that always did jobs with the state and that's like a real job and my mother she ended up although she did operas and things and saying she was working with the university so these are like concrete paths to take for creatives the mm-hmm. the non concrete paths are what everybody runs away from and you know if you're talking about I want to get I want to make video games that's like a kid saying hey mom I want to make movies. And she's like, right. Uh, you'll, you'll probably be a guy who, you know, films people when they come down to the the court building or whatever. And you're just going to be, <laughs> you're just going to be filming court proceedings. You're not actually going to be a director. What I started doing, I ran home every night. I would go back to the dorms. Um, I'd break out my direct X books. I start programming, yeah. trying to figure out like, okay, how do I make these 3d assets? How do I, um, edit file formats? How do I, and I'm just making these demos basically. Cause you know, when, when you're trying to get into games, you need to have, I didn't know what you needed, but I figured, I figured having something concrete is better than having, you know, just, hi, I'm a nice guy. My whole idea for going into programming instead of art or audio or whatever else I was interested in was at the very least, they're going to need architects to actually construct the game to actually get in there and make these pieces work. So my strategy was, I don't care if they don't like my ideas. They have to like the fact that I can actually put together this code. Yeah. That's kind of game agnostic, right? Like anything could run on this thing. The the bones. As I said, you know, studying file formats and all that, I was like, oh my God, what is this? I'd never done that before. You know, like how does DirectX read a, a, a Maya 3D file? You know, so I'm into like the the Maya documentation, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great starting point, Benja. Like, cause you're already kind of distinguishing yourself and setting yourself apart from anybody else in the space who I'm, I'm, I'm sure are kind of coming at it from a gameplay perspective or networking perspective. And you're over here already kind of deep in the asset pipeline without even knowing it. Right. I didn't feel I could gamble on, you know, let me make the next, some kind of Pac-Man clone in 3d or let me make a, funky little match three game, you know, or whatever. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bank on that entertaining somebody. So I was like, let me go the hardcore programming route and just see if I can make all these tools. I was basically spending all of my time going to school and doing my classwork, doing my graduate work study. I, so I actually had to, to help run a class as a, as, as a TA. So that was my job. And then also I had to, you know, I had to go home, do the coding and you know, figure out all this. I was making this little direct X graphical 
3D engine where basically you could load in a file format and then it'll make the screen for you and you drive this little 3D thing around this world and it had boundaries and all that. So it was it was the rudimentary read a file, display a 3D image, show some uh, graphic capabilities, show some show some physics and a little bit of uh, game programming. And the fact that I had these different vehicles that uh, they were like F-Zero type of vehicles. That That's what I mean. You know, so I didn't have to worry about wheels and things like that. I could just make these kind of generic shapes and uh, have them float around. Did you get those assets from somewhere or they were kind of included or you built them? I, I built them myself. I, I plotted them and uh, I, I used, well, what was this tool? Bryce 3D. Yeah, it was some, it was, uh, <laughs> it was not made for what I was using it for. Sure. But you made it work. Whatever you had, you made it work, right? That's a sign of a, of a real game developer. Uh, th- yeah. The thing about it is that you could make these simple 3D assets and they, they didn't intend on anybody to actually, you know, use the 3D files. But what I found out is that there was a, a section of the 3D file that basically plotted all the points and how they were connected. So I was like, oh, well, here we go. I can just make these little 3D assets, open a file, yeah. copy paste the, you know, all the vertices and how they're connected, and then read that into my file format, which I, my janky college 3D file format. <laughs> but, you know, I had like seven different floating, floating vehicles now. That's awesome. Cause I was, I was curious to know if it was indeed, you were kind of plotting out each individual vert. And to a lot of people that I imagine will be listening to this who are deep into Unity and Unreal and other engines that just kind of, hey, you can just drag in a Maya file or an FBX and load it in without having any consideration for what it takes to kind of build this from scratch. There's a lot to it, to your point. And you go deep. And that knowledge, I'm sure, carries you throughout the rest of your career, right? Knowing how it works from the ground up. Yeah, that that type of challenge is necessary to reach the next level. I mean... To get to the next level, you have to operate on the next level. So yeah, the, the very first uh, 3D asset I created was just, you know, like a, a pyramid, basically, an elongated pyramid. And I actually plotted that one out by hand. I was like, well, okay, you know, Pythagorean theorem, this is, should be this far yep. away. And I actually plotted out the the data points where they would be in space, you know, just on pen and paper. And then I typed them in and then ran the ran the viewer and the viewer would like show this uh, elongated um, pyramid. And I'm like, huh, okay. So as long as I do it kind of like this, I can make it work. But of course, that, that gets complicated quickly, which is why I, I started going through all the little programs I had. And Bryce 3D was one of them. So I was like, oh, okay, I can use this. Definitely. I mean, at the root of it all, everything in 3D just consists of however many hundreds of thousands of millions of triangles. Right. So starting at a triangle that you manually plot out and say, okay, it's this far apart and it has to close, right? Otherwise it's not going to render, right? Then you get going from there. So are you able to show anyone your direct X work at this point? So, dude, I got this list of companies and I basically just started going down the list and, you know, taking their address. And uh, if they didn't have an email address, I would call the company. I find their phone number. Cold call. Yeah. I call the secretary and be like, hi, I'm Benjamin Johnson. I'm looking to do work with such and such and such. I excel in 
direct X and da da da. And you know, I would I would do something that would quickly get me past the secretary. So mm-hmm. they're listening to me like, oh shit, direct X and all this. Uh, I'll put him through to a tech guy right away. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just like, hey, listen, let me know who I can contact because most of the people didn't talk to me. They're like, some guy's calling. He's talking about direct X. Like, I don't give a fuck. I, I was like, well, look, now that I've got you on the phone, I'm going to send you a little package. Just check it out and let me know what you think. And they're like, sure, fine. They'll take that. And I'm like, they can't take any demos. Sure, fine. I don't care. I'm not sending any game demos or game ideas anyway. We're good. So I was doing this with seven companies a day with this is seven different sets of like research, custom cover letter, custom resume. I would I broke down like, oh, these companies are good for AI. They're looking for this and that and that. I'm going to go this direction. Oh, I'm sending something to Nintendo of America. I'm going to go way lighthearted. I'm not going to talk about the fact that I like Samurai Showdown. I'm going to talk about the fact that I liked, you know, Mario Kart. So I, I was customizing for every company and every institution that I was contacting. And I was doing no less than seven a day. On top of everything else going on in your life. But this is the thing you wanted the most. The contacting people, the making the game engine, that eventually led me to a discussion with the 3DO company. The 3DO company, man, you're taking me back. They did have like a PlayStation competitor, right? Like some CD-ROM based hardware. Yeah, yeah. So they came in that weird, there's this weird era with the Philips CDI multiplayer 3DO box and everything. You know, their big idea was that, you know, you'd have all this this computing power and all this data from the disk with their special compression and all that, and it would be fabulous. It sounded good in theory, but it didn't work out because a lot of the people up top didn't catch all the bits that made gamers enjoy games, namely loading times and those are rough in those early CD-ROM days. If your loading times are too long, you know, I mean, it's like that that could, could, could kill a system. And, you know, mistakes like that end up killing the 3DO. It's interesting, right? Because I look back and as gamers, let alone game devs, I feel like we had very thick skin and high tolerance for anything, right? As, as long as the gameplay was solid or appealing, we would put up with a lot. Oh, yeah. Including like two, three minute load times. Yeah, but um, you know, combine that with the 3DO strategy, the hardware didn't work out basically. Mm. So they they were trying to develop a hardware platform, and yeah. I ended up getting the call from the 3DO company because they were uh, basically neck deep in software at the time. They were like, "Hey, listen, we've dropped the whole hardware thing, and we're going 100% software. We're building software for the PlayStation. You know, we're going to be doing some Nintendo stuff down the line." Mm-hmm. You know, and we need a lot of software people. And we saw your resume, and we, we got your uh, you know game engine and everything here. And we want to talk to you. And I was like, "Holy crap! I'm about, I'm about to graduate." This too? is it. Oh, the timing was perfect, huh? Yeah, timing timing was great. So I'm like, I'm about to graduate and everything. This is this is gonna be great. So you know, I told everybody, I'm like, "Hey, look, just just go ahead and take me off all the list. I'm I'm 100 games now. I fuck all y'all. You know." 3DO does come through and say, hey, we want you for an interview. So I'm like, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to need a flight out there and everything and, you know, help me out with all that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. We got you. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, guys, I, I need a hotel, probably maybe a taxi. I've never been there before. Yeah, you know, I, I had I had no clue of how things. You know what? I mean, this is the game industry. A lot of companies were like, well, yeah, if you can get here for an interview on Monday, you're good. 
and they would just leave it up to you. You're absolutely right. I'm I'm joking. Be like, yeah, yeah, of course. You always get the fly for the in-person interview. But you're absolutely right. I've had that a few times in my career where they're like, tried to finesse me and say, okay, you got the job. Mind you, I've never met anybody. I've just spoken to everybody over the phone. And they were like, hey, just relocate yourself and come work for us for a temporary contract. And, you know, fortunately, I had other offers, full-time offers that fully paid for relocation. So I just want to call out to people out there that you have nothing to lose by requesting things and knowing exactly what it is that you need to do your best work for them, because that's what they're investing in. Yeah, I mean, look at the credits for some of these games. It's not like a lot of people. So sometimes they're not footing the bill for all that nonsense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you want it bad enough. Yeah. So, yeah, I got there. The 3DO interview gauntlet was fucking amazing. Really? Yeah. So to people that don't know, but when you say gauntlet, that is 100% the best description you could give it. Kids, look up gauntlet, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But basically, you've got to run through uh, a group of your peers and they basically beat you down or try to keep you from getting to the other side. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a rite of passage kind of thing. Um, a test, if you will. Uh, so I got the 3DO and... Dude, they were they were they were ready to kick people out quickly. Okay, they already had a system. Yeah, and it was extremely organized, but very informal. So I get there, and they're like, "Oh, you're Benjamin." You know, they call somebody on the phone, hang up the phone. Barely before I sit down, guy opens the door, looks at the secretary, is like, "That the guy?" She's like, "Yes, that's him." I stand up, "Hi, how you doing?" And we're in, man. I mean. He's just like, all right, well, I'm supposed to show, give you a quick tour while we get the first interview ready. So the guy's showing me around all the studio and everything. This is that. This is this guy. This is this guy over here. And this is my first time in a game studio. So mind blown, right? I'm. Just, it must look amazing, right? Like a museum of all types of memorabilia and video games and systems and plaques and art. My God. And 3DO was a place where old school cats reigned i mean they had these old school guys that were really kicking ass and then they had a bunch of new school guys and that was their actually that was their development strategy where you got old pros who knew what they were talking about and then a bunch of mm -hmm. young energetic whippersnappers there was no like middle middle ground kind of people there i like that right you have your your savvy veterans and you mix that with your young passionate hungry talent right and then that's kind of drives the product forward. Yeah. They kept each other in check that way. So after I get shown around, you know, I'm seeing concept art blown up to these wall size posters. And I'm like, oh my God, I've only seen this stuff in, you know, really small imagery on an electronic gaming monthly magazine. And oh my gosh, I'm seeing like controllers broken apart and, you know, screwed back together and hacked up and everything. It was just really crazy to me to see all this stuff. Right. And they're just walking around walking around showing i'm sorry yeah i'm sure it, it was kind of like getting to nirvana or something right like everything is glowing and you're just like I'm, I'm i made it i made it this is what i've been searching for. yeah so of all the companies that i talked to for whatever reason i vibed with 3do on the phone the best so mm. and when i got there that vibe kept going, right? So I'm going around talking to people, vibing with them, talking. And I think they were excited about my connection with 
the old school games like Atari and you know as I said um when I was when I was little I had the NES and Quick Basic and all that so I had this level of connection there that I think entertained them they were like hey this kid remembers that old football in the Atari 2600 and you know this guy made that game and he's like huh? someone's talking about my football game and I'm like no no not in a bad way we love it and this this kid actually played it when he was and I was like holy shit these are the people, right? Yeah, so I'm in a <laughs> I'm sitting down in this one interview room waiting on a guy, right? And I'm like, okay, I've been through a couple of interviews. It wasn't the greatest interviews, but uh and you know, I had, even I could tell that they weren't the greatest interviews. I'm like, eh, I'm not doing so great, but I'm doing pretty good. I'm nervous. Okay. Well, yeah. Walk, walk me through that setup, right? Once you're kind of in in the dungeon or the interview room, you know what, what's the what's the process like? Like, is it one person? Is it like good cop, bad cop? Is it a panel? Is it a committee? No, no. Then- they had a uh, at the time they were doing like a single file process. So you sit down, um, you sit down with like a notepad, your resume. Dude comes in. It's like, all right. So I hear you. This and this and this. Tell me about. And that person would take you through their process. And it was nice. a very quick boom, 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 boom kind of thing from person to person to person. Okay. Okay. Their, their process meaning what, like asking you general questions about your background, what you've done. Yeah. Um, you know, why I do this, why I like that. Uh, you know, one guy came in and straight started into math problems. Cause you were going in as a, as an engineer, as a software engineer. Correct. Got it. Got it. So okay. yeah, I went, went in one guy was like, okay, well let's go ahead and get to it. He just, went to the whiteboard. So I've got, you know, 17 doors here and this guy opens this door and da, 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 da. You know, I answered all these math questions for this one guy, answered software engineering questions with this one guy. And I didn't know who these people were. I'm just going through the gauntlet. So this one guy comes in and he actually starts connecting with me on a more human level. And he's just like, so you're interested in this and that, and you're interested in, uh, and making an engine or, well, no, I wasn't interested in making an engine, but I figured it was the best way to get in. He's like, okay, that's a good idea. I see where you're going with that. So what made you do this and that and that with the engine? Okay. Well, did this and this. Okay. So you went to school for that? It's like, no, I did that myself. So this guy, this one guy, you know, he's got a beard and long hair. Of course, that's like everybody back in that day. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Early 2000s. Yeah. So, so he beard and long hair game programmer guy. Um, Mm-hmm. So he's just talking and uh, he's like, okay, this sounds interesting. Let me tell you a bit about myself. And he starts talking, right? Like, yeah, I did this and that. And, you know, 3DO, we're working on X, Y, and Z and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay. I was like, what was your name again? And it's like, Howard. I'm like, okay. So I'm doing this and that and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so what do you think about? And I'm like, uh, this guy's name is Howard, Howard, Howard. Okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just got from college and uh, finished College was really tough and everything. And for some reason, I think while we're, while he's talking, I'm kind of zoning out and I'm like, I shouldn't be zoning out, but there's something really important I need to connect here. And I thought back to this book I had, right? This, this random book that I had, I had ordered online and it was a conquering college. And I started saying, yeah, you know, my college experience was very uh, interesting, but what I tried to do, and I started talking from this book, Conquering College, right? Mm-hmm, 
this is this is nuts. I started talking from this book conquering college. I'm like, yeah, you know, what I figured you had to do was get into the psychology of the um, the professor you're dealing with. And even if you don't have a question, try to ask a question because that makes you seem interested. And I really am interested and blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling him this and my head keeps going back to why am I going down this route? And why am I telling this to this Howard guy? And then he starts talking like, that's very interesting. And he just starts talking and answering, asking questions. And I'm not really listening at this point. I'm trying to piece together these random thoughts I'm having about the Conquering College book, uh, the game industry and school. I'm I'm trying to figure out what my brain is trying to put together here because there's something missing. Uh-huh. Every time he asks a question, I'm just like, uh, yeah, uh-huh, whatever, this, that, and that. So at some point he's talking and I cut him off. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You're Howard Scott Warshaw, the creator of uh, E.T. You worked on Atari, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Yars Revenge. You're Howard Scott Warshaw. He's like, he's like, uh, yeah, that's me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yo. You wrote Conquering College. That's how I found that book way back in the day. Because I was looking up information on you and I found Conquering College. And I'm sitting here basically reciting to him his book. That's why he's so into me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, let's talk about this. I'm an expert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you sound like you know what you're talking about, young man. I'm sure there was a picture of him in the back of the book or something like that. And you just kind of, you you just make that connection subconsciously. His picture in the book was clean cut. Ah. He was not clean cut in the interview room. It's like, okay, now you got to go take a headshot for this book, yeah. right? And then you got to get all get a haircut, get all cleaned up, yep. But it's not how he actually is in real exactly. life. Got it. So I'm like, holy crap, this is Howard Scott Warshaw. And I'm like, you're that guy. You're that guy. And he turns around and looks at me like, the hell are you talking about? Conquering College. And he's like, what? You, wait, you read Conquering College, young man? And I'm like, yeah, I ordered it. I got it and everything. It was a pretty cool book. It got me through school, you know, because <laughs> I, I wouldn't have time to do everything else I was doing without having some kind of strategy and guidance for getting through college without your book. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And he stops. He stops me like while I'm about to start geeking out. He stops me and goes, hold on one second. He opens up the door. He's like, hey, Todd, Steve, you guys get in here. This This kid's read my book. <laughs> he's bragging to his friends and they're like Todd comes to me I was like what are you talking about Howard what are, you, what are you yelling about he's like go ahead tell him what you told me he's like yeah I, I read Conquering College in, in, in college and it, it helped me out and Howard Scott Warshaw that's the guy and then like Todd like rolls his eyes Todd Fry was the creator of Pac-Man for the Atari 2600 I later found out yo so the whole lineage at that group is deep deep in like the foundations of video yeah. games. So I'm connecting. Uh, these guys are like rolling their eyes and Howard's like, you know, punching them in the shoulder and laughing. Like, see, I told you my book was, you know, I told you people read my work and he's happy. I'm happy. I'm like, you know, this is fucking weird. This is amazing. And so at that point, the formal interview part kind of fell, fell to the wayside. And, and he's just like, okay, well, let me tell you more about what we do and blah, 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 blah. Actually, you want to go to this guy's computer? We can show you right now. And the interview yes. became something totally different. I My nervousness went away. I was totally chill. I was able to 
be a gamer, developer, fan, mm-hmm. creator, all that at the same time, and was just in my flow. Yeah, at that point, you're you're hanging out with a group of your peers. No, no longer is it like, oh, well, these are people that make the thing I want to do and want a piece of that. It's like, no, I am one of them. They've welcomed me in kind of Yeah, thing. and even if I didn't get the job, my mindset had changed because I had just connected something from my childhood to a real-life situation. That was crazy. Well, there's something to be said for that, right? Like, <laughs> of the handful of books you've read up at that time or, or what have you, right? Like, it, a lot of people kind of think, hey, to get into games, I got to just make games and play games. But really, it's it's a little bit of everything, right? Like, keep your ear to the ground, read as many different things as possible, watch as many different things as possible, listen to as many different things as possible, you know, and, and look at how that helped you out, right? Like, I'm sure you completely disarmed Howard where he, he, before you, got out of interview mode and it was like, oh, let's hang out mode. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, most interview situations I would have been in, I probably would have been able to tell some kind of story. You know, if I was with EA, I could have been telling them about The Sims and how I tried to hack The Sims and find out what you could do with the system and without it. If I was talking to the Quake guys, I could start talking about how, you know, I hacked Quake to run on the the servers in the computer lab at Michigan State. I guess you built up all this ammunition from when you were going through that video game company book and writing custom cover letters for every different company that you're cold calling and sending out letters and emails to. Yeah. And it wasn't so much a strategy as just, I think this is the best thing to do. You know what I mean? I think this is how I should run my life. So at 3DO, what did you, you came in as an engineer. What was your day to day like? Yeah. So I ended up being a quote unquote game programmer at 3DO. And that, that basically meant making sure the game played the way it was supposed to given all of the um, other functions of the game. There's a graphics programmer an AI programmer, um, you know, a guy who's doing system level stuff, making sure the game loads and all the textures are there. There's a, um, a visual programmer who's making sure that all the files are loaded in from the artist properly, uh, UI programmer, etc. I mm-hmm. was a ga- and you a game were programmer. you were like a back end game programmer. Yeah, so okay. this isn't um, so this is like you know rocket hits plane, plane explodes. I need to credit that kill. Uh, the game was War Jets, by the way. War yes. Jets, War Jets, an extension of Battle Tanks. Awesome game. I love Battle Tanks, bro. So, yeah, they threw me on this project because it was new and interesting. And I ended up doing some of the game programming. Like, you know, when the rocket hits this guy, make sure you credit it to this player. Make sure you send a notice to the the UI system that the score should update. So I'm just communicating between all these systems, making sure that the level updates properly. You're on the right map. The score is where it should be. When you go to the character select screen only the unlocked characters are showing up there's a lot of not terribly in-depth and difficult knowledge or logic to take care of but necessary okay there's a lot of housekeeping out out of curiosity was it any particular language and was it dramatically different from the types of things you were doing academically dramatically different from academics but only in the sense that academically you do things the right way (laughs) <laughs> and Good point. and in you know in a corporate setting it's like well yeah you could do things the right way 
but there's a a bug in the Sony compiler that won't allow you to do X, Y, and Z. What you gonna do now? And it's yes. like, well, the right way would be, and you get laughed at. Yep, by these veterans that have seen it all on all the consoles before the PlayStation. Yeah, so I knocked out a couple games while I was there. I worked on Dragon Rage, which is like this 3D dragon shooter, War Jets. I worked on Johnny Mosley, Mad Trick Skiing. Skiing, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it was kind of an SSX clone. Yeah. I consulted kind of between games on a, on some of the Army Men games. Okay, these, these were like sister studios or something? No, uh, 3DO had a... A couple different uh, game development teams all under one roof. Okay. You know, in between games, you'd either go research something, go on vacation, or help out another team with what they're doing. Uh, I ended up kind of consulting in some areas where it's like, well, hey, why are you guys doing this? Let's see about this level. Sure, I'll, I'll give it a play test and try out some things. Out of curiosity, what was a typical... It sounds like you pumped out a lot. And, and how long were you there? And I'm curious, like, what what a typical production cycle was. And then what was like the downtime before rolling into the next thing? Um, So 3DO was kind of crazy. They were the masters of fast and dirty development. And I really, I really credit them for me being able to jump in and get things done because they didn't let much of anything stop them. So the development time, the minimum, and this is going to sound crazy. The minimum was like six months to nine months to get a game out. And what about on the on the on the high end? On the high end, if you were making a three year game, you'd have finance coming down talking to you like, "Yeah, can we do this in two and a half? Why is it three years?" That's epic. So this was late PlayStation life cycle, early PlayStation Two life cycle, and you you guys kind of have a nice rhythm then at this point. Yeah, it was it was pretty incredible when one guy has something that's that works, and you know uh, there was a guy there named Simon Everett, brilliant programmer, graphics guy. He got something to work and basically a memo went out that said, this is Simon's code. It's awesome. Don't fuck with it. We're on a mission to get this thing out quickly. Okay. So my dumb ass being young and <laughs> young and stupid. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I changed something. I saw a piece of his code and it had a, it had a comment that's like, it didn't say don't change this. It's like, this is here for this reason. And I'm like, Huh. Well, couldn't it be here for this reason? And I just moved it a little bit, right? Because <laughs> I was oh I was trying to goodness. get something else done and mm-hmm. it just like was crashing all over the place. And then later on Howard came by my desk and I was like, Hey, uh, yeah, I want to check your code with you real quick. <laughs> it was like, Yeah, see this part right here? Don't change it. <laughs> Okay, so he he caught the commit. He saw who made it, came over, sat down with you, and repeated what you what you already told. Yeah, basically, he's like, yeah, that's <laughs> once again that's Simon's code. He knows what he's doing. He's working very quickly. We're all trying to move with speed, so don't touch that. So shout out to source control and revision history, right? Where like nothing goes unnoticed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> your fingerprints are everywhere. Yeah, so that company went bankrupt though. It's interesting, right? Like when you have such a great cadence of releasing software for what I imagine is, is very low budgets that were, I'm sure, getting a nice return. Well, the strategy wasn't wrong. It was just mistimed and misaimed. Mm. So basically, let's release 
I don't want to say lower quality, but simpler games, not for the hardcore, you know, gamer audience, release them at in faster increments with shorter life cycles. And that that was fine for what it was. And we understood Mm -hmm. what we were making there. So, you know, you put up one of our games versus a Zelda. It's like, well, this is not Zelda. You're just going to buy this. You're going to play it with your kids or you're going to have some fun doing goofy shit by blowing up army men or plastic army guys and you know you'll be done with it or the next version of battle tanks comes out you know you get around with your friends have some beers blow each other up a couple times you laugh about it but you know you're not sitting there thinking how come the textures on this tank are higher resolution than the textures on that tank it was just like mm. what the fuck ever we're getting this stuff out fast it's going to be fun simple you know, and it's going to have uh, an enjoyment value. Un- mm-hmm, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the market wasn't tolerating that at the time. Mm. So we at 3DO at the time underestimated the amount of. We figured there would be more casual gamers, but gamers ended up advancing very quickly. And they the entire competency level of all gamers rose very quickly. Time went on, you know, it went bankrupt. Interestingly enough, Darian and Jeff both ended up working at Rockstar later on. Oh, from the Bay Area, moved down to Rockstar San Diego. Yeah, they ended up leaving 3DO and working for Rockstar. They left well before 3DO went bankrupt. I was one of those guys who said, hey, I'm going to be the last man standing. You, you're going to go down with the Titanic. I mean, it was, it was your first company your first team and and filled with the forefathers so to speak right of people that you know taught you a bunch and and you admired i imagine uh, yeah yeah totally um you know i i love those guys and love the experience they gave me and when that when that company went bankrupt i i got more office supplies than i could have ever imagined <laughs> you know it just it just kind of came home with you man you was working from home way before any of us dude there was a guy uh, <laughs> okay, a little quick little bit of insider uh action, I guess. When a, I when a company goes bankrupt, mm-hmm. you know, they start trying to sell off assets and things. But there's some stuff that's just too problematic to try to sell off or, you know, auction off or you know, do something with. So, mm-hmm. it's like, man, this company's going down. What are we going to do with this this case of printer paper? I'm like, shit. I like printing stuff. <laughs> And I thought I thought I was being, you know, badass by taking, you know, printer paper and like pens and notebooks. Office know, supplies. Office supplies. Yeah. Man, I saw dudes straight up thieving. Just like a guy was trying to to balance a, a laser printer on the back of, on the back of his motorcycle, right? Oh man, and those things were like a hundred pounds, man. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> worth money damn yeah hey to be fair uh i've been there i've been there with studio closures and project cancellations <laughs> and you know they hey go clean out your desk and it's like i absolutely will clean out my desk somehow i'm not gonna say any details but somehow there was a don't incriminate yourself man. no 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 somehow somebody at the company ended up with one of the director's hard drives <laughs> Oh. And it's like, 
I don't know if you know, but Microsoft Outlook does a backup of a local, a local backup. Yes. So, yes, it's true. Like in the app data yeah, so like, folder. Yep. So like months later, it's like, yo, come check this out. <laughs> like, you got all these emails you're like holy shit what is this the difference between like director pay and like individual contributor pay and, and it's really just a difference of information you're privy to put me on a whole different game man okay okay so 3do goes down you got buddies that jump shipped already to rockstar san diego and what what are you up to at this time like now that you got your your new and improved home office with sweet printed paper and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. Um, so you know, I was printing out uh, flow charts and every, everything else I could, right? Uh, figuring out for for your portfolio, <laughs> just because I could. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah. Um, did you have a portfolio at this point? Yeah, you know, you're always trying to figure out what your 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 next move is in games. Um, you know, within within uh console technology cycles there exists the project cycle um so you know your project's only going to last for so long and what happens if you end your project and you're an ai programmer and there's two other ai programmers already working on a project what are you gonna do be a third ai programmer do, do they need that so you're always just kind of thinking about what's the next move what's the next level and this is a it it was a place of stress for me, but at some point it turned into a place of, um, you know, excitement where it's like, hey, you know, what can I do next? Or how can I, how can I try out something new? How can I uh, engage myself differently? And when 3DO started to um, shut down, you know, I was talking with Howard. Uh, he's a great friend of mine now. Um, and we've got this, uh, he's definitely a mentor of mine, shown me a lot. He was like, you know, you really need to lean more into the design side of things. And I was like, okay, um, I don't mind that at all. I don't know how that works. I mean, I knew designers, mm-hmm. obviously Jeff um, and others. Yeah, because Howard was like a hybrid, right? He was designing the games and coding them. Oh, yeah, that was the only way to go at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, he was like, you really need to lean more into the design side. Yes, this is exactly what I wanted to touch on is your shift into game design from engineering, because this is how I met you. I met you as a designer. Game development is interesting in the fact that every since its inception, every couple years, two to three to four years, you've had a major switch in technology and social paradigms, you know, mm. You come from Atari, which was, you know, the early 8-bit single screen type of thing, major technology jump, major social jump into, you know, the 80s. And you get, you know, these adventure games, role-playing games like Zelda and things like that with varying types of of viewpoints on games, top-down, side-scrollers. And suddenly all these ideas that didn't make sense in arcades were now available in the home. Mm-hmm. You know, in the arcade, you it's simply impossible for you to have anything over an eight hour experience because the arcade was going to close. And the, the gameplay is such that how do we keep getting quarters? Right. So, yeah, at every stage along games development, you've had uh, technological technological shifts and simultaneously social shifts that just 
change the change the way things are. So if you're not willing to continually update your outlook or ask questions or think on one level higher, like, hey, what's past this? What's the next thing? Then then you're finished. I mean, you're not you're no good in, in games. You're not going to last long. Well, yeah. What happens to a phone that can't get any more updates, right? It kind of becomes obsolete and useless, right? So you're at 3DO when Grand Theft Auto 3 comes out. I'm curious if you remember or can recall what it was like when you first played that game. Speaking to paradigm shifts, of course. Dude, we go back to the studio and we're just, everyone's sitting around doing their thing. We get get time for a break. Plug in Grand Theft Auto. And this is one of the most mind-blowing experiences in my game (laughs) development life. Where the game... Okay, if right now when you play Grand Theft Auto, everything makes sense because you've gotten accustomed to the open world. At the time, when you started up a game, there was no, um, you know, no previews, no title screen. The game just showed a few, uh, a few of those posters that it was loading, and then it dropped you into the game, and a prompt comes up that says press X to get in the car or to, you know, to drive or something. I forgot exact terminology, but you're standing next to a car and it's like, press X to get in the car. And you're like, "Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) Now at the time people are still thinking of, you know, most games where you're very organized in terms of, hi, welcome to this game. Press start one player. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you like this option or that option? And, Okay, you're going to do this and do that. Remember, hold down X to do this and press the right button to do this. And there was a lot of yeah. There was a lot of preparatory nonsense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love it. I love it. Just the fact that you can you could be on foot in a car is a huge thing at the time, right? Because up until then, all the racing games in existence, you are the car. Or in an adventure game, you are the person. There was no marriage between the two where I can go from, hey, I'm a person to now I'm a car. There was none of that up until then. Uh, Yeah. So the fact that there was no load screen and that I'm just standing there, there's no no press start screen or whatever. I'm just standing there next to a car. And there was a couple uncomfortable seconds where we're all just sitting around this game. And it's like, press X. We're like, "Uh, dude, press X. Oh. Okay. So, you know, you press the button and you get in the car, you hear the car rev up and the radio. And it's like, Hey, open world go. And I was like, <sighs> Do whatever. Holy crap. And our minds were just like, wait a minute. You weren't told to go anywhere. You, you don't mm-hmm. have a certain level. What are you supposed to do? I don't know. And hey man, it. run over that guy. I started <laughs> first instinct. I started driving on the sidewalk and there are police and the you know, guys like, holy shit, police. And I, I'm thinking they're like me and my three friends. Um, Jeff was around. You, you know Jeff. Um, Junio. Yeah, Jeff Junio was around. Uh, Chris Lusich and uh, Sylvain Dubrowski. Um, a couple of, uh, you'll know them from Guitar Hero and some other games. Um, but yeah, we're all sitting around and we're like, holy crap. What is going on? And we just keep playing and passing the controller around. We, I turned my head, right? 
after a while of playing, I'm expecting somebody to tell me to get back to work. Dude, mm-hmm. I can't see out of my cubicle. There are just like heads all over looking into this cubicle. Like, what the fuck is this game? Remind me again. This is which GTA? GTA three. Oh, okay, okay. This is a three D. I thought, I thought, I thought this was a uh, top down one or two. Which, which, if you were to tell me the same story, I would still believe you. But okay, three D part three. Yep. Okay, I'm there. I'm there with Sorry. you. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, but but that's the two D was why I picked up Grand Theft Auto three from the shelf. Ah, uh, okay. You had played those, and so you knew the franchise, and you're like, "All right, I'm ready for part three. There was yes. The marketing behind it was, I don't want to say non-existent, but extremely, extremely underground. Yes, I, I I'm with you on that. Like, uh, I caught wind of GTA three, mind you. I was what probably in high school at the time, uh, and I caught wind of it through word of mouth, and I feel as though. It was practically an entire summer, right? Like I, I grew up in New York City, went to school in New York City. So the GTA 3 billboards made their way around the subway stations well after the game came out. It wasn't like, hey, let's build up the hype and then get the game out. It felt like the game was already out. Word of mouth was hitting heavy, yeah. you know, and then they started doubling down on the market. Yeah, like don't miss this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you've probably heard about it. And and lo and behold, you know, it was coming up in radio stations. My favorite rappers were talking about it. Um, all the controversy was was hitting big time, right? Like again, the but but so this is my perspective from the outside of the industry looking in. I'm so enamored with hearing the perspective of developers on the inside of the industry playing this game for the first time. Yeah. I- we the questions that were coming up were like, well, hey, how come they don't load in the next level? What is the next level? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, dude, it was yes. it was so bizarre. A guy was like, well, I think there was somebody you could go talk to back there, and we would watch somebody turn around and pull a U turn, and you know, go start a mission. And once we started a mission, they were you know, people were like. Like smacking each other on the shoulder, like, hey, hey, he's starting a mission. Hold on, check this out. Check this out. Here's a mission. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the cutscene and everything. Yeah, we got the whole concept of a mission as opposed to a level. So, for the first time. For the first time. This is something that you just didn't consider at, you know, at that moment where, you know, I mean, you have, you had RPGs where there were quests. Yeah. But we got that concept. We didn't understand what was going on in terms of, you know, don't, Hey, in the, in the scope of grand theft auto or in the scope of an open world game, they, the context of going, starting a mission, you know, leveling up uh, in that sense of, of this kind of stepwise, you know, collect a piece here, get this there get a new car here, get access over here. It was, it was RPG like in a way, but it was action adventure in its own sense. And I'm having trouble describing how mind blowing it was. 
but rightfully so, though, right? Because back to something you said earlier, GTA 3, Grand Theft Auto 3, was a social and it was a complete paradigm shift in how games were made and expectations players had going into an experience like this, right? They didn't even, they didn't even know how to consume it. And so, again, I love hearing your take on it because your, your pattern recognition way of thinking was like, how do I break this down? How do I re-implement it, right? Is is kind of like doing backflips and somersaults of like, oh, there's a new rule set that I haven't even yet tapped into. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how, um, and, you know, I, I talk about this uh, quite a bit, but it's interesting how scale can change something. Mm. We, uh, It's GTA 3, so we've had the concept from... GTA 1, GTA 2, GTA, uh, I forgot the name of the London missions or whatever. There was Grand Uh Theft Auto out there before. So the concept existed. But yes, the idea of that level of scale, the idea of that level of, you know, grandiose, no loading, open world didn't hit until that moment. You know? Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. It's like, it's like, you know, you think of the concept of here's how I can make people understand, I guess. You have the concept of a slip and slide, right? You know, you put on this plastic and shoot kids with the hose and they go sliding down and laughing and giggling and whatever. Slip and slide, right? Yeah. And it's all fun and nonsense and everybody's happy. That kid has no idea what SeaWorld is like. <laughs> and those mega slides. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just your concept, it just doesn't make sense to think on that scale. So when we're playing GTA 3, I swear to you, we came back from lunch because lunch is when we bought those games. Uh-huh. We came back from lunch um, and we were supposed to be doing other stuff. We ended up playing that game well into the night and the crowd never left. Yo. Yo. There's some, there's, so I want to take a quick pause tell the audience that is not aware is a yes game developers we do take time to play games it is part of the job it's it's a small part of the job but nevertheless a key part of the job especially when it's games like this because you said you called it the rules didn't change from one or two to three but the scale did right the camera changed the assets were now full 3d right uh, much more memory on a blu-ray uh to to play cutscenes, right? Whereas in the one and two, they were just kind of like static imagery with like a text bubble or something like that. Now you had voice actors and you had mocap and you had, it felt much more cinematic and the presentation was a whole nother level. Yeah. So it was just basically one of those moments where you realized the world has changed. So you're in San Francisco, 3DO shut down, and you're looking for your next place to make your next big game. So what was what I decided to do, um, I got back, I was back into my habit of creating, you know, these custom resumes for the company that I was going to talk to and talk with. And, you know, I'm talking to all these different people. And, you know, of course, Jeff and Darian come up and they're like, hey, send, uh, send along your resume so we can check you out at Rockstar. So, so you got to put on through your network, through your through your colleagues, right? And at this point, Rockstar San Diego was only doing, well, 
only publicly doing Midnight Club. Okay, so they had already kind of put out Smuggler's Run, and now they're doing Midnight Club. And and they are Rockstar at this point, right? They're not Angel Studios. That's correct. So they are Rockstar. They've converted from Angel Studios. But it's it's quote-unquote known in the industry that they're the Midnight Club studio. They do the racing game. They do Smuggler's Run. Uh, they did Ico a while back, but now they're oh now they're doing the the racing game thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not particularly interested in racing games, you know. But I'm feeling out to all my friends anyway, and I'm like, well, hey, let me. You've done them already, right? Like at that point, you've already built a bunch. Well, I mean, um, I I liked racing games, uh, and I did work on uh, Jacked, which if you if you find information on Jacked, it is not what. We developed it's. It got turned into something after it left 3DO's hand. So, uh, it was supposed to be a road rash Mario Kart kind of thing, but they turned it into something else. Um, anyway, that's a great formula, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting idly by to the day Road Rash gets reincarnated some at some point. Uh, not only you, there that that there is movement in that direction. So, um, don't be surprised if something comes out. Maybe not under that name, but you know. Anyway, um, so I'm talking to Jeff, I'm talking to Darian, and they're like, no, 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 keep sending us your information. And I'm like, eh, racing games? I don't know. Maybe I should talk to Crystal Dynamics. They're already up here in the Bay Area and everything. Yeah, and that's the house of Lara Croft and Tomb Raider. Exactly. So, you know, I'm like, that's that's more of what I'm looking to get into. I don't know about this racing stuff. And they're like... Listen, I know you did SSX, uh, the SSX clone, Johnny Mosley and all that, but just just talk to us. And it didn't take much convincing. This is my friend Jeff. And I'm like, cool, I'm down. <laughs> so, yeah, I ended up at Rockstar Games working on the uh, agent project, actually. Oh, my goodness. The, the famed mythical agent for PS3 that never saw the light of day. Uh, so, curious... Was that, was that process similar to the 3DO process? You know, like you're running the gauntlet... Um, no. Was there a programming test or a design test? So Rockstar is different. They're they're just different in terms of games. You can, if you couldn't tell from their games alone, they have a different mm-hmm. vibe going on, and you know this. Um, but mm-hmm. when I interviewed there, they were kind of like, "Yeah, man, just hang out and talk to us." And I hung out and talked to them, and they were like, "All right, man, cool. You gonna, you know, go home now." I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Did I get?" Shot? Yeah, they, they don't. They don't give anything. They don't give shit. I just, I just didn't know. So I went home and was like, you know, laid in my bed and was staring at the ceiling, like I don't know if that went good or bad. Or so I just started like sending updates. I was just like, "Hey, man, I put this. I don't even know Maya 3D or anything, but uh, you know, I have found this one 3D program." Look, I'm going to send you some art. Uh, I'm going to send you this night. You guys said you do X, Y, and Z. Hey, look, man, I don't even know. Uh, you guys said you do scripting. I scripted this little funky thing out here. Just send this. And I just kept sending them stuff. And I'm getting no response back for like months, right? Or months. Or okay. Like a couple months, not not like several, but one or two months. Hey, but that's a long time. Like talk to anybody who is in between jobs and has been to a company in one day and, and it goes radio silent for like more than two days. You're already kind of like on the phone freaking out. Yeah. They were like, yeah, we got your information. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I'm just like, what the, I don't know what to do. And you know, so 
I'm on the phone with everybody else, but I keep sending Rockstar stuff because I am completely enamored by the ideas and the vibe that they had. So, oh yeah, this this goes back to that thing of like you you get attached to a certain vibe. And that's kind of what resonates with you. Like walking through 3DO had a certain vibe. Speaking to those developers had a certain vibe. So speaking to Rockstar devs had that same magical kind of like it clicked with the type of things you like to discuss. Yeah, it it was it was bizarre because at 3DO, when I walked the company, people would stand up and say, hey, how you doing? Shake your hand. And they'd give you a short little presentation on who they were. When I was at Rockstar, people are playing games and it's like, hey, we got a new guy here. And they're like, hey, new guy. And they would keep on playing their game or, Mm -hmm. you know, editing their level or whatever. And it was just a bizarre vibe for me. Not a bad (sighs) vibe because at at some point, you know, I was like walking by and I pointed at a screen and I was like, hey, what's this? And the guy's like, oh, this is X, Y, and Z. I was like, really? You guys are doing blah, blah, blah. How come you're not doing yada, yada? And, you know, it's, it was more of a, if you want to know something, you get in there and start doing it. You get in there and start talking about it. So I started catching the Rockstar vibe early on. And I was like, okay, this is how this company operates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no roles or constraints, really. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. people would walk by just cursing and shouting. And it's like, yeah, they don't, they don't care that a new guy is there. Um, it was, it was, it was mind blowing and refreshing to me that they were just this open and free and just talking about whatever. Um, but they weren't, they weren't bothered by the fact that they had a recruit there. They were just like, Hey, recruit guy, how's it going? Uh, cool. Hey, uh, is that a bagel? I mean, are you guys going to eat that? Can I eat that? And it was just like the kind of place where you could just get involved with people and interact yeah yeah kind of what you would what you'd expect from a kind of creative place right like show me an idea let's parlay off of that right and if you don't got nothing to show me you know i'm gonna keep going about my day right so when i got there the agent project is still up on the rockstar website is it it's still up on the Rockstar website, which is the only reason I mentioned it in this discussion here. Holy shit, it is. I can go to rockstargames.com slash game slash agent, and I see the all-black screen with the words agent with the G having the silhouette of a gun yes. kind of in a reflection. So I won't say much beside the, the fact that I was connected to that project when I got to Rockstar. At some point in the project discussions of agent, the concept of a table tennis game for the next generation system came up. Okay. So next generation being PS3 and Xbox 360. That's correct. Yeah. This, and this, this came out of left field for anybody who was a fan of rockstar games, kind of uh, what was out there. It was like Max Payne, Grand Theft Auto, uh midnight club like you said so table tennis was was something very different in the portfolio this has become a hallmark of my career of of my life actually just being involved in new interesting and uncharted waters 
from uh, the stuff I was doing at 3DO, you know, was, hey, let's make a fighter jet game. It's like, we've never made one of those. It's like, well, throw these other guys on there. Hey, throw Benjamin in there, too. Um, you know, when I got to Rockstar, you know, somehow it was like, well, hey, uh, we've got all these other projects going on. Um, Midnight Club, among other things. Well, what about this one idea? The table tennis thing? Yeah. Let's throw Benjamin on that. And I, I don't want to make it seem like uh, I wasn't involved, but, you know, I was like, well, hey, let's uh, let's do some things. Let's try something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a collaborative vibe. Um, I ended up on the table tennis project. Like uh, it, it was something that was an opportunity that was available and presented itself. And going back to the way that you have this uh, immaculate gut instinct to be drawn to certain vibes, it it, it, it drew you in. I go with good flows. Mm. And you can find information online about, you know, how table tennis came to be. And you're going to get varying accounts. For me, uh, none of that mattered. I just thought that it was interesting that we were doing something that was so beyond Rockstar's traditional outlet. And what I mean by that is uh, not necessarily table tennis, but we were doing, one, a sports title. Uh, Mm -hmm. Two, we were doing something with an extreme amount of fidelity that Oh yeah. And what I mean by fidelity is instead of this huge open world where you can go anywhere, you've got this extremely closed in arena situation where it's basically one-on-one and you can suddenly look at the the hair patterns, you know, the the cloth on the players and it's extremely close up, high fidelity characters and it's a very intimate interaction. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I I always looked at it uh, from a development standpoint. I thought it was a genius move, right? It's like, hey, we're going to get into uncharted territories with these consoles. Let's see what they're capable of. And, you know, you can go kind of the fighting game route where you have only two hero characters to dump the majority of your processing and rendering power on. And then the rest of it, dress it up as as beautifully and let artists kind of go crazy. Like I remember you guys have pretty sweet crowds in there and the facial animation and the muscle definition. And it was tight, bro. I mean, I'm a, I'm a gameplay guy. And so, you know, if you want to say that this is just Pong, I, I, I would correct you because anybody, you've seen, you've seen anybody play real table tennis. It's a crazy sport. And I felt like the game really captured it. You know, to this day, I correct people. They're like, Oh, you made the ping pong game. I'm like, no, table tennis. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm curious, man. Like, here you are at the at the helm of the project, or how was that structured? Kind of like the design team or the development team. Without getting into how Rockstar does its thing exactly, there were a few principal characters driving the development of that game, and. You know, I, I was one of them as lead designer. So as I said, um, you know, back at 3DO, Howard said, hey, you should push for design. And when I came into Rockstar, I was like, look, I've done programming all this time. But I'm here to do design. 
they kind of looked at me funny and were like, what do you know about design? And it's like, well, that's why I got into games in the first place. But let me uh, show you what I can do. I'm not sure they were ever convinced, but <laughs> but uh, they thought I was an interesting enough spirit where they would take a chance on me and try something out. And, you know, shout out to Rockstar. That's one of their their abilities to kind of, you know, and uh, Rockstar is an incredibly intelligent company. That it is. I'm not sure how people read it from the outside, but from the inside, I was incredibly fascinated by how practically intelligent they were. Like, well, hey, we've got a new game coming out on a new system. We can be one of the launch titles and we can also showcase our new Rockstar Advanced Gaming Engine. What's the best way to do this? Oh, we have a former programmer, you know, this guy Benjamin over here. So all these things start to line up. Mm. I'm pushing in in a direction. Rockstar is pushing in a direction and it's making a, you know, it's, 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 it's forming this definite concentration of awesome thought that's turning into what we would come to know as Rockstar Games Presents Table Tennis. Okay. Over, over time, it's like, I'm working on the project. Suddenly I get an email. It's like, hey, meet with these people and tell them what you, you're thinking about for the characters. And it's, hey, meet these people and go over what you're going to do for the arenas and the technology. And at some point it's like, holy crap, this is actually a thing. It's a, it's an organic process. Okay. And, um, you know, what works, works. What doesn't, doesn't. And, you know, with, uh, if you look at interviews from, you know, Sam or Dan, um, you're going to see the same sentiment where it's like, hey, we do what we want and whatever works and is good, we're going to make more of that. Whatever's not working, we're going to veer away from. That sentiment um, I totally agreed with and understood. And I actually got to meet with, you know, Sam and Dan on a couple occasions and they pushed that onto me. And I was like, holy crap, these guys aren't just, you know, random faraway executives. They have this vibe that I kind of get. I, you know, I can, I can, I can understand. It's a positive energy that's just so forward thinking that it's, it's hard to deny. Okay. So, you know, I meet with them a few times and, you know, I start doing what I can for this Rockstar Table Tennis title. And over time, it's like, well, hey, we have a new programmer who just sent us an update. I'm like, why is this guy updating our code? And he's like, he's on the team now. What? You know? <laughs> There's a team? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for for those who remember... Rockstar, Rockstar Games Presents Table Tennis wasn't on the map almost until it was released. It was just not talked about very much until it was about to be released. And when it started getting press, people didn't believe it. Really? They didn't think it was a thing? No, I mean, it's like they thought it was a code name. You know, it's like. Rockstar Games presents Table Tennis. It's going to be coming out for the Xbox 360. 
magazines were like, okay, Rockstar is uh, playing games right now. They're uh, they're being silly. I don't know what's going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could see I could see how this as an announcement or or for something to just be kind of casually declared that hey, this is this is happening. This is coming with like very little marketing or lead lead time. How it could be taken as a joke, or even looking at the catalog to be like, wait, 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 this is nowhere near what their other games are like. Do you remember the the media surrounding it, where it's like, okay, you're gonna have a ping pong game where people shoot each other? <laughs> I I don't I don't recall it vividly, but it's not hard. It's not a far fetched thought to see how like quickly the guns and shooting come into play. At the time, the only thing Rockstar was popularly known for was, you know, what you heard in like on CNN where they would say something dumb like, hey, uh, you know, we've got this uh, Rockstar is making a a table tennis game, apparently. So what are you going to do? You know, some prostitutes going to play table tennis with you. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. And we, we're, you know, we're not saying anything to the public, really, except that, hey, we're coming out with the game and it's going to be based in table tennis. And the media starts freaking out. <laughs> Which I'm sure is positive, positive marketing, right? Like the rumors and the whispers start running and the anticipation starts building. Yeah. So, you know, you do the you do the press thing and. uh you get to a point, fast forward a lot, uh, you get to a point where you're doing a demo and you're doing a, a presentation of this game to different people. And a lot of people would come out to these these press events just to see what the fuck Rockstar was up to. Of course, of course. The name commands attention no matter what they're working on. Yeah, it was bizarre seeing people sit down and hold a controller and they're like, they're waiting on somebody to run out from the crowd and mug me or mug one of the characters. I'm like, no, nah, dude, it's just a table tennis game. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> but but a tight, a tight, well executed, great looking game on that generation of technology. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that was definitely the uh, the formal debut of the Rockstar Advanced Gaming Engine, aka Rage. Yes, a lovely pun if I've ever. Uh, acronym if i've ever heard one yeah so oh my gosh of all the things to talk about in terms of rockstar people always ask about crunch mode i i don't want to avoid the obvious questions in people's head uh, about crunch mode and working hard people do what they want to do in a game company and Mm -hmm. i put a good amount of work into that game because i wanted to see good things happen and they did I mean, especially when you were given lead designer responsibility, right? You know, for for any true creative, once they start getting into that creative mode, it's like I'm making something groundbreaking. I have the opportunity to literally change the world in a lot of positive ways. And it's funny, I'll, I'll go places and people are like, you know, what's your claim to fame or whatever? And I'm like, well, I'm the foremost authority on table tennis video game design. <laughs> so out of curiosity, like, do you get down on some real life table tennis? Um, I did. Okay. During the development of the game, I wanted to 
I wanted to channel the spirit of Rockstar and definitely make something that gets into the realistic spirit of whatever it is I'm emulating. And if you haven't noticed that about Rockstar games, you haven't been paying attention. There, there is mm-hmm. a spirit to every one of their titles that is representative of the property that they're that they're making a game out of, that they're simulating. Yep. So with table tennis, it's like, how do I truly understand this? And myself, Raphael, Raph. the primary 3D modeler, Jason Castagna, uh, the concept artist. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Jason. Shout out to yeah. Raph. I love uh, those Charles guys. Eubanks, the, the main programmer, gameplay programmer, at least. Yeah, he, he's he's deep on physics. Yeah, too. totally. You know, Kevin Luckerson, you know, he was in there getting the physics and gameplay together, too, who I closely worked with. All of us. Uh, oh, and Ferdinand, a- animation, you know, just mm. we all kind of started picking up on this rock star spirit where it's like, you know, there is a an underlying vibe of this game, of this property that we're trying to recreate. How do we best represent that? And to do that, we have to do, as you say, you know, get down with the property. So we would spend a lot of our time saying, watching, watching table tennis films. You know, we record stuff from ESPN2 that was playing table tennis at the time. They thought it was cute and goofy. We thought it was serious business. Absolutely. You know, we, we actually got a, ooh, was it? Killer spin. That's right. Uh, I was about to say jewel, but we got a table donated or they worked out a deal but with killer spin where we got one of their tables in our office. Yo, if it's the same table that stayed there when I got there, that's by far kind of the best table. That's I've ever a quality played. table, isn't it? Hell yeah. It was, it's one of those things where it's like you don't know what a good table is until you really see one and you're like, oh, well, that's clearly a good table. <laughs> or you, you or you play on some regular shit afterwards yeah. you're like damn no nah, no nah, it's not me it's a table bro see me on this other table yeah so uh once that table came in you know we went out and got we got paddles during the motion capture i was actually gifted a paddle from uh, one of the chinese olympic champions in table tennis and that was the paddle i used damn. so she was explaining to me the difference between it's like yeah I use this style of holding the paddle. I keep it super rubbery on the back end and super super light on the front end. And I'm like, why do you do that? And she's like, well, I want this kind of spin when I'm defending shots and I want this other kind of spin when I'm attacking. And, you know, these players and uh, you can also look up Wally Green, NYC. He uh, helped he helped us out with a lot of the a lot of the motion capture. Shout out to Wally. Yeah, yeah. You know, you start to learn the the spirit and the intangibles of this property you're developing um, or trying to emulate. And we went to, uh, as I said, uh, you know, doing the motion capture sessions, met with Olympic athletes. We went to the uh, Balboa Park. They have they actually have a table tennis uh, arena in Balboa Park. Not many people know about it. Yo, I I'll be honest, man. I. I... Uh, ballpark is not as big as Central Park, and I would have told you, yeah, I've been through all the nooks and crannies, and I, I don't think I've come across a, a table tennis. Yeah, table. so I didn't, I didn't know this either when I was in San Diego, and I just started putting out the feelers, and dude was like, "Well, yeah, uh, are you going to the tournament on, you know, next Saturday?" And I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" And he was like, "Yeah, you need to come down to Balboa Park, go down this." 
this place, turn left here, go down this hill, and there's a gym there. It's a table tennis arena. Ah, uh, okay. It's one of the indoor facilities. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm over here looking at the images. You got me doing research. Yeah, yeah. So I went down there, and there's a crowd full of fools playing table tennis. And uh, this is one of the times where we called Wally down, um, and Wally was, was there, and he's like, you know, showing us all the ropes. Like, yeah, this guy, he's uh, trying to be – he's not Olympic, but he's trying to get in this one tournament, and he's doing this and that. And I'm learning all the seriousness of table tennis. And I'm like, this is not just your, you know, beer drinking ping pong crowd or whatever. This is an actual sport. Yes, that's where you took appreciation for the for the real game. Yeah, so, you know, me, Ferdinand, um, Ted Bradshaw, I forgot to mention him earlier, uh, Raph, we definitely took it to that next level um, and learned about table tennis and tried to, as best as we could, imbue it into the experience that everybody played. So, you know, we hope that we did a good job, but at the very least, we we wanted to make something that people remembered. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we did that. Yeah, man, it's hard to argue. Like, I can't tell you anything that came behind it or anything that would have wanted to come behind that. Uh, and in terms of solidifying rock stars space in the next gen, right. was like, Oh crap. Okay. The tech is ready to match the ambition or the scale of whatever games are coming behind it. I've, I've had the great fortune to know you <clears throat> for almost a decade. And I've always I've never taken the time to really dive into your table tennis experience, right? And so this this has been really awesome for me personally, right? To get this history onto uh, the game that you lead designed on before we got together on Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of history. That game that game was in development for a while, like alongside uh, so yeah when, when people hear that it's been in development for a while it's not like you got to understand with these projects it's not like you sit down with a full team and you're working for all this time it's like stuff starts you add people you remove people you try things out it's much more fluid than one would suspect from the outside true true like the actual nitty-gritty production of it was less than half the time that the project was live yeah. after table tennis there was some downtime before getting on to the next thing or what, what did you roll on to after that? Or what, what, what did you want to do after that? I guess. So table tennis, you know, for a little while I was doing, I don't want to say press, but I was going around, uh, you know, showing people the game, you know, there was a Wii version made. It was, Oh Yeah. The Wii version was a little different than the Xbox version, and people will play it will understand what I'm talking about. But you know, there were there was just some some movement. Are we gonna are we gonna extend this anymore? Is this a one off project? Uh, it kind of organically went out there, did its thing, and then the question was, well, what else do we do with this? And before that question could get answered, you know, Red Dead Redemption kind of came into into focus, and suddenly I'm on Red Dead Redemption uh, doing doing different work there again, like completely organic and, and natural, just 
It's just wherever the winds are kind of pulling you, right? To be like, hey, here's this thing, and we need we need you on it. If you have the stomach for it, I think that flying with the wind is the best way. So, yes, yes. I sympathize with you 1 billion percent, right? Like, don't fight fate, but at the same time, the decisions you make kind of put you in in that. And if you try to go against it, right, you're just going to kind of end up circling back on it in some form or the other. Well, yeah, you really get into the into the concept of, you know, like the winds of change or whatever. It's like, um, mm. what are people looking for? What are you looking to do? What's the market ready for? What do you have the resources for? There are a lot of different variables that go into development that people don't consider. And unless you have the the constitution, the personal, you know, acceptance of life to really grasp all this energy that's around you and focus it into a different area, or I mean, a a, a constrained focused beam, then you're not going to be living your best. Mm. And I think that with games, I've been able to do that. And when Red Dead Redemption came around, it was like, look, I'll jump on this. I'll, I'll, uh, help out where I can. I'll start working on some things. Uh, let me see where I can add my expertise. That project was already in development when I got on. Shout out to Alan Blaine. Shout out to Maru Fiore. Uh, shout out to Christian Canamesa. Yeah, that was the whole senior exactly. design team. So shout out to those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where can you get in where you fit in? And, you know, the the Red Dead Redemption project was exciting in the sense that it was well according to popular media it was red dead redemption in the west and according to us at the time it was we don't want to be eta in the west gta with yeah horses exactly they were thing. saying hey they're gonna make mm-hmm. a gta with horses <laughs> um so you know i my my head had been in the table tennis one-on-one very small constrained space for so long that when I lifted my head up and saw that Red Dead Redemption was happening, it was like, okay, how can I once again stop, listen to what uh, the energies are doing, learn, and how can I add something positive to this? That's what kind of lured you in. I guess it was the appeal of something that you hadn't done. It was definitely new, but you know, it's like with the with a given situation like that, um, you know, you've got Red Dead and, you know, GCA North props to them. They're they're off doing their Grand Theft Auto thing. It's relatively expected. Table tennis was not expected. And Mm-mm, the first all. Red Dead Redemption was not expected. People were who knew about Red Dead Revolver, which was the precursor, you know, knew about okay, you had these kind of structured levels. You knew about, you know, a boss character. You would do X, Y, and Z in the... Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, right? You want to kind of reinvent yourself, carve out a different space in the Rockstar portfolio. And you had Bones, the Red Dead Revolver Bones, right? It's Wild West, it's gunplay. Um, you had kind of set villains that you kind of tracked down. And then how do you map that? into an open world and make it 
compelling and stand on its own. For sure, that's a, that's an awesome design challenge for any developer to want to bite into. Yeah, totally. So once again, uh, my old friend, the uh, the Flipsider, Jeff Junio, was there and uh, with with others, and uh, it was funny. Um, you know, when we're developing that game, it was uh, a matter of how do we make something that's not and and this is the this is the challenge with a lot of games but rockstar kept rockstar mm-hmm. kept pushing us with this and i hope people really understand and embrace the the interestingness of what rockstar does where with every title you have a certain spirit and with that game mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out well holy crap what is the spirit of this game how do you make it interesting to travel miles on horseback, you know, across dirt, you know, and, and some trees. Yeah. You, you don't have radio. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working there with these guys and, you know, once again, we just try to touch into the spirit of things. Let's talk about the, let's watch some old West films. Let's talk about, well, Hey, this film is this old, this old film is slow as fuck, but ne- but it's still entertaining to me. How can I get that vibe into a game? So yeah, uh, you know, we just started trying out different things that people expect that we expected, and we started developing them. I love I love the research that goes into any game, but definitely Rockstar has a has an awesome approach to really getting to the core essence of whatever thing it is, right? Whether it's table tennis or the magic of spaghetti westerns right and in the world and the even the pace yeah so uh you know dan houses even spoke on this where the story is essential i think a lot of game developers get caught in the aspect of you know a game is the technology or you know we're trying to find this one this one little gimmick mechanic you know Mm. or hey you know you do x y and z it's gonna it's gonna send a push notification to your phone it's like, eh, that's that sounds cute and everything, but does it tell the the story that you want to tell in a game? And um, with Red Dead Redemption, we were basically trying to tell this Western story, the first one. Yeah. So yes. Um. So you know, I uh, if you remember, I was doing the um, the bounty hunter missions. Oh. Yeah, we were yeah. just trying to figure out like, well, what's very Western? Like. Well, shit, bounty hunter missions. That's like, oh yeah, you're gonna want to go tie up a guy, dead or alive, wanted poster kind of thing. So you know, we started trying to build that out. It's something that I take with me because I I'd never worked on a game at that scale before. So being able to do that, rubbing up against so many awesome creative minds, was a challenge, definitely. Because anything you put out, you know, you look the next day in your emails, and it's like some awesome person from somewhere else that you don't know has something to say about what you've done. And you're like, well, shit, maybe I should rethink things. Maybe I should uh, reconsider how I'm approaching this. And you don't get that everywhere. Was that feedback, like a a feedback email? Like, Hey, I'm playing your thing and this is what I'm running into or or what was the nature Um, of it? It came in a, it came in a variety of formats. You know, you get your feedback emails, uh, sometimes you would get on a conference call. It it depends on the, the situation, but there were a variety of different ways that feedback came to you. 
And I think Rockstar is underappreciated in how well they they corral good ideas and put them into a product. Mm. They're not coming from the space of software development. They're coming from the space of entertainment and storytelling. Yeah, you're absolutely right that it's it's unlike any other place I've ever worked the the nature of how design evolves. Yeah, so we we made that game and uh I rode off into the sunset and was happy with my life. <laughs> <laughs> literally bro you got modeled in the game you were a wanted guy i forgot about that we'll have to put up a picture of that we were discussing this you got you were behind a hashtag saying game design is dead done finished when and where were you at the time and where, where did that stem from after I had finished my stint at Sony Santa Monica, shout out to the God of War guys, very talented bunch of guys. Which God of War were you on? The last one they developed with the the kid. Ah, uh, yes, Dad of War. Dad of War. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my what twenty eighteen game of the year. Yeah, yeah. I, I left early in the development of that that product. I was there for a different reason than the God of War property. We weren't going in the same direction. So I exited Sony Santa Monica at that time. And when I was looking around to see what was available on the landscape, I was noticing that a lot of the job opportunities were classified as level developer, um, uh, game architect, world resource collaborator, or whatever. They're they're just these weird terms, but nothing said game design. And I looked, I kept looking and digging deeper. And I realized that what was happening was the idea of somebody sitting down and thinking, hey, the game should play out this way. Here's where we're getting our player interactions. Here's where we're getting our payoffs, our challenges, our tutorials, our leveling up, our objectives, etc. The thing, classic things to game design, they don't exist anymore. Especially when you jumped into the mobile space, you were looking at, you know, statistics. Yeah. You're looking at uh, retention rates how often people are going to pay to play for the app. And a lot of it didn't have anything to do with traditionally considered game design. Yeah, you're right, right? It's more like poli-sci, behavioral science, economists, and statistics rather than paper design, right? Systems and, and player feel and motivations. Right. So I wasn't mad at it. I was just very cognizant of the fact that what I knew as game design is kind of dead. And if you look at your major studios, what you'll find is you'll have a writer in one area. He'll write like, let's say for a last of us kind of reference, you know, you have a character in a world who's going to go through some adventure. You're going to have a producer who's going to say, Hey, we want this game to, bring in this much money. You're going to have this, you know, other person over here, an artist who's going to say, well, Hey, it should look like X, Y, and Z and should have this kind of Hollywood vibe to it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have all these elements and you're going to have a game that's developed, but 
when you're looking at the four pillars of game development, which is production, programming, art, and design, there is no lead person on board that's saying the game should be invoking this type of psychological and entertainment response from the player, Mm -hmm. which is what the lead designer would usually do. Your design is falling into the hands of people who are creating levels or people who are cranking out, uh, you know, different types of development assets, but it's not in the same sense of design as like, uh, say way back, like Pac-Man, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you had a, a guy who's like, I'm going to design a, a hide and go seek chase mechanic and make a game out of that. It's just gone now. I wonder if what you're touching on is more a symptom of the scope and scale of games have gotten so massive and you have so many different hands on it that those things are delegated to different disciplines and specialties, right? Like you no longer have one guy at the helm saying, hey, this is the vision, this is the feel. It's kind of fragmented and and kind of developed by committee. That, that's a part of it. Definitely development by committee. But I think that what you're looking more at is a, a power grab where you have production that's leaning more towards the ideas of what Hollywood does, where, you know, Hollywood has a director and they kind of say, hey, I want I want to look like the Matrix. I want there to be slow motion. I want there to be blah, blah, blah. I'm going to hire a writer and I just want everybody to create production level assets that support this idea. Yeah. And I'm Mr. Producer. And as Mr. Producer, I just want to make sure everybody follows the script, follows the plan. Yes. Yeah. That person is not necessarily in there designing. Mm-hmm. You know, that person is just kind of pushing a certain direction and hoping all of these individual parts play into a successful product. Yes. That's the producer's traditional role. Right. So that producer's traditional role is moving more into an extended version of design, Yeah, which is why I say, as we know it, design is dead. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I have seen that type of relationship at certain studios. Uh, And yeah, where where you can kind of say that when you're hiring designers, they tend to be already kind of given a direction and a vision and their their box to kind of work in is more to flesh out a system or an ends to a mean to get to get the thing happening on screen not so much as like what is the point what is the player expression what do we want them to feel and do at any given moment or any decision that they're making kind of thing. And, and definitely to connect with you know my time at Sony Santa Monica shout out to Corey Balrog who oh yeah is the mind and driving design force behind God of War. It's like, how many of those guys do you have? Mm. And the answer is not many. I'm, I'm glad you you shouted him out because in that same fashion, it's like, oh, well, that's a case of true creative direction, right? And true game design, carrying that through a production and it manifesting in the final product, right? And the whole team was on board with that. You've been with me for so long and we can keep talking about this for hours, but uh, I want to take one question we threw out on Twitter real quick saying like, hey, any questions for Benja while he's while he's 
taped up and mic'd up. And we have the good homie Chris Barasa oh. throwing in and saying, you know, how does Benja continue to find new ways to keep evolving the brand, right? As as the creator you are, that you're always kind of reaching and stretching and trying new things and learning and and keep it moving. So shout out to Chris Barasa. Uh, shout cool, out. Cool guy, man. Uh, love that dude. Um, so you got, you guys work together at Rockstar. Yes. We I, all work together. At absolutely. We did. Uh, you guys, I learned a lot from you guys and I, I hope you learned something positive from me, but ba- basically my journey, I think that gaming has a certain thesis in the arts and that's, you, you have this certain level of interactivity that came around with computers and I, I totally grasped onto that and love it and embrace it. With with this current era, what I want to do is continue grasping onto the new. So what you found me do is separate myself from the actual development of games per se and take that spirit of, you know, hey, I'm I'm on this level. I'm playing a certain character. I'm going to conquer this level boss. And I wanted to take that to a purely artistic level and see what I could get from that. And that has a lot to do with social media, the current state of affairs in the world. It starts to get real heady and I don't try to fully explain it out. But where do I go with this thing? I'm going to do what I've always done. And basically, that's to listen to the the good minds around me and try to create something that entertains those minds. Hell yeah. Hell yeah creation for yourself and, and, and entertainment for the people around you. I love it. I love it. Leaving, leaving, leaving the space better than, than how we found it. Absolutely. I, I value your time. This has been super special. I want to give you a chance to promote anything you're working on or let people know how to get at you or consume your products. Uh, you can find me at mrbinja.com. And that's where I connect to you on social media with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. I put out content that's different on all those platforms. What I want to do uh, going forward is continue this idea that life is, in fact, a game. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. But we're all playing this game. We have choices. There are things we can do in the positive and in the negative. But everything we do has a choice. And as the system dictates is going to have a response. So I just hope everybody out there is playing the game to their fullest. And I want to explore that through the arts. So mrbinja.com is the main link. And my primary art project is the 8bitcubist.com. That's T-H-E 8bitcubist.com. Awesome. I'll definitely make sure to link those in the show notes. And one final thing before you go, we kind of have this this uh, this tradition or what I'm trying to make a ritual on the show is to ask you if there's anyone that comes to mind that you would love to put in the hot seat uh, behind you. You know, if this hits enough the views and continues on the way I hope it will, uh, I'm going to convince Howard to get on here. Howard and, and Jeff. Oh, Hefe, <laughs> Flipsider, and Howard. Yo, you know, I, I caught wind of Howard super unexpectedly what he's doing, like psychology and therapy for other developers in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I thought last totally. I checked. That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So, so he definitely, I mean, that and being a forefather in this space, I think he would have so much to talk about. I, I would, I, 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 I'm glad you put that out into the universe. I want to make that happen. You have um, also Raph and Marcellus. I got to shout them out because they got, they got me started on the podcast game. And, you know, I have my own personal podcast. What's the name of that? There's the ADD Experience and there's the 8-Bit Cubist Podcast. But those two interesting art spirits just got me totally, totally into expressing things in a different way. So, Raphael and Marcellus, if you want help me connecting that, I'll, I'll make that happen. But getting them on the podcast is nice. They've been tagged. That's it. That's it. Marcellus, Jeff. Raph and Howard. Damn, you you gave me a lot right there. I, I was I'm I'm super happy. I got I got my work cut out for me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Benja. Hey, brother, have yourself a wonderful time, and and know that you are always welcome back on the show. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it totally. Yo, Benja went in. I had no idea the determination he had to cold call and handwrite letters to all of these game companies while getting his master's degree and teaching himself DirectX graphics on the side. But that commitment paid off. What a mentor to have had in Howard Scott Warshaw, who's been making games since way back on the Atari 2600. I look back and I smack myself for not appreciating my time working together more and finding ways to partner up and create more design together. I'm really enjoying doing this where I get to make up for the lost opportunities where I was solely focusing on making a game all it can be and missing really connecting and learning from peers around me like Benja. Rockstar is unlike any other company I've ever worked at and their games and development approach is truly one of a kind. Where do you stand on the R Games art perspective? How do you feel when he channels one of my favorite rappers, Nas, not in claiming hip hop is dead, but that game design is dead? He may be right that life imitates game. In the next episode, we sit down with a dear friend and someone whom I respect immensely in game design. Mei Ling Tan, formerly at Google Stadia Montreal, where we talk about her passion as a live ops social game designer who gets to live in the space where we figure out all the different ways we play together socially and how to make those spaces more accessible, inclusive, and remove any friction points, as well as her journey throughout studios all across Asia, Europe, and finally North America. You won't want to miss it. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow dev, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to set up time to meet and talk. Please make sure, though, that you get approval from your studio PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, John Diaz. Please make sure to subscribe to see what developer pushes out of play area next time. Stay safe, stay true, stay creative.